the Behind the Beans from Steampunk Coffee Roasters. I'm Rachel Beebe, head roaster at Steampunk, and today I'm excited to be talking to Lean Cosmedy from Falcon Coffee. Lean is an agronomist and head of sales at Falcon Specialty, a green coffee importer that Steampunk's been working with for years. Today we're talking about Falcon Peru, a project they launched to link smallholder farmers in remote areas of Peru to the specialty market. Steampunk bought three lots of coffee through this project so far, La Huaca in 2018, which came from several regional farms, and this year a lot from Freddy Bermeo and one from Herminio Ramirez. We just finished the last of the coffee from Mr. Ramirez, so hopefully you were lucky enough to try it while it lasted. After our conversation, Lean messaged to say that two of the farmers they work with have placed in the Peru Cup of Excellence competition this year. Eli Espinoza placed eighth, and Fidel Juancas placed fourth. I'm really excited for everyone involved with the project, and I can't wait to taste that coffee. It definitely speaks to the quality of the coffee they're producing and exporting. So let's get started. So I am Lean. Um, I am an agronomist from my university background, um, and I'm heading the sales for Falcon Specialty. Um, Falcon Specialty is a UK-based company, and we are importing and exporting specialty green beans. So we work with producers and with roasters as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, Falcon has um, a couple of different parts of the business, right? You have a specialty business and a commodity business. Is that right? Yeah. That's correct. So Falcon Falcon Coffees is mainly uh, commercial. They started with commercial coffee 12 years ago. And then eight years ago, they started the department for specialty coffee. Um, We are completely independent. So it's like a mini company within the company Uh in specialty. So we do everything ourselves. So all the um, imports, um, sales, sourcing, everything. Um, So it's really interesting to have both sides of the industry as well um, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we uh, we've been buying coffee from you since um, since Steampunk started. You're our longest running um, importer that we've been working with, and um, I, uh, I. But I wanted to talk to you specifically today about um, a project that you guys have going on in Peru, um, which has been going on for a little while. So maybe you can give us a little bit of the history of the project and um, and where it is today. Yeah, sure. Um, so Peru is a very, very special origin for us um, indeed. So we've been working in Peru for quite a few years now, um, both on both sides of the company actually, um, specialty and commercial as well. But we realized that um, there was a lot of potential in that country that was probably not used. Um, a lot of quality that was blended into bigger lots, um, a lot of the transparency and traceability that was lost as well. Um, a lot of producers that were either disappointed in working with some cooperatives or very isolated and couldn't work with cooperatives. So what happens in this case is that they sell the coffee to agents that are going into um, the fields, that are going to um, to their farm and then buying the coffee there, uh, usually with very low prices as well. Um, so we didn't have partners there that were doing uh, doing it the way we wanted it to be in Peru. Um, and because it was such an interesting origin as well in the sense that it's not a very specialty origin, um, to be put it this way, or not a very like sexy origin. Um, it's been traditionally known as more uh, bigger, washed, organic and fair trade um, provider of coffee. Um, 
so mainly commercial but um, certified coffee. So not not really a specialty origin. And I think that our job is also to be able to give the opportunity to people that are not yet in the specialty market to and that have potential to actually give them the tools to be able to um, develop that potential and be part of that. And not only, you know, buy coffee from um, from very established specialty producers already. Um, so that's all these reasons why we decided to step in Peru and then um, take it to the next level. Um, so the project in itself is more like a vertical integration of, of our work. So instead of being the importer only and then buying from an exporter, we have become the exporter. Um, so there is a Falcon Coffee Peru that is based in Cajamarca, so in the north of Peru. Um, and we do have a team there, we have a warehouse, we have a lab. And the idea was to buy coffee directly from producers uh, that were not members of cooperatives, so offering them uh, an opportunity for, for this new market to keep everything that was coming, to be able to first give some feedback, but also being very transparent about prices um, and all that, and to train these people as well. So the whole year when we're not buying coffee, in the field training producers on you know helping them sharing knowledge on how they can improve the quality as well and therefore their income and the idea um, on this on our side as well as as an importer was that we have control on on the quality as well so we are able to identify quality we are able to identify micro lots and separate these lots and not blend that again in bigger bigger lots and then make sure that roasters can also access um, the whole potential of Peru. Mm -hmm. So can I can I just go a couple steps back because I wanted to focus a little bit on some of the coffees that we've had from the project. And one thing stood out to me about what you said. Um, the first the first lot that we got from from this project was La Huaca, and that was produced. Um, it was a it's a it was a blend of of coffee um, produced by I think around thirty coffee family farmies coffee farming families <laughs> in um, in the same area of Peru, like in one geographic area. Um, and so, so when I first read about this coffee, I learned that um, producers in, in really remote areas of Peru, they would have previously sold their crop to, um, to what you called intermediaries. Um, if they're not, if producers aren't incorporated or in kind of a cooperative or in an association, then they are left on their own to, to, to sell their crop. And a lot of times they would sell it to folks who would travel around and buy the cherry and then blend it all into a huge blended lot and, and sell it for a very low price. So why, can you talk a little bit more about why that old system was not working for some of these farmers? Um, yeah, of course, but because all the people that are buying like this in the field, they're not having anything. So they're going there, they're buying what they see, and then they give prices that they tell uh, the farmers that are fair prices, but obviously they're not because they know that they can take advantage of the fact that these people don't have many options to sell their coffee. Um, so they might it might be the only the only guy that would show up at the farm in the whole season to buy coffee. So if if I miss this opportunity as a farmer, I will make no money at all. So sometimes they were um, kind of pushed to I, I accept you know a price that wasn't really fair for the coffee or for the quality. Um, 
and and also because if you if you do that there might be like in the region in the area um some really nice coffee that would be you know like let's say like a microlot that is cupping like an 87 plus uh we're talking like top range that would be blended with coffee from from the neighbors that are on 84 and 85 coffees um so you you would not be able to um catch that 87 coffee and you not not be able to sell it as an 87 coffee which means that you're not able to pay for it as an 87 coffee either um, so I think we, we do blends as well, but we cup everything before we blend. Um, so all the, the 30 um, families that have participated in, into that blend, they deliver their coffee um, separately into our warehouse. So um, they came with their coffee, we did a green analysis of the coffee, moisture content, we roasted and cut everything before we paid them for um, that coffee. Then we decided in terms of profile, in terms of cup score, and as you say, in terms of like the geographical area to blend these coffees because we thought that would be, you know, sometimes people bring like a bag of parchment. So you don't do one exportable bag with that. So right. you do have to blend that coffee to be able to sell it. Yeah. So that's, they're blends as well, but it's a very different way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I the longer I work in coffee, the more I realize that the term single origin is definitely one that is uh, is misunderstood and misrepresented. And, um, you know, I thought that Lofuaka was a gorgeous coffee. It was absolutely beautiful. And I was so happy to buy it and to roast it and to sell it. Um, but then we moved on to another lot by that was produced, a micro lot, I think, produced by a farmer called um, Freddie Bermeo, I think is how you say his name. Um, and so, I, um, what I'm hearing you say, um, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about is that the quality and letting and, and giving the farmers, farmers tool, the tools and the knowledge and the know-how to know what the quality of the thing that they're, they're selling is, is the really key part of this project. So making sure that they, that, that in order to access the specialty market, that the key factor is quality. Is that right? Yeah, so I think the, the key factor is quality and is the actual options to find that market because you can produce really good coffee, you can put a lot of investment or efforts into producing the most beautiful coffee ever. If there is no one there that would be paying a good price for that coffee, you'll not sell that coffee as a good price. Um, so I think there's the two things. It's like, yes, quality, but also access to a market that can afford that quality as well. Mm -hmm. It's about... Yeah, it's about producing the high quality coffee and then you guys turning it around and selling it to roasters like us. Yeah, which I think, um, you know, there's, there are a lot of um, quality initiatives that are being done in the field. And I've been I've lived at Origin for, for quite a few years um, before. And I've seen a lot of people do that. I've seen a lot of NGOs um, doing projects in the field. And I realized that when um, there is no... Uh, access to a market, it gets very difficult for people to continue once the project is done. So a lot of producers will follow all the instructions and everything, and then usually they would get grants or, you know, things that would help them to invest into their farms. But if the project is not actually offering a market as well, it's not sustainable because these people at some point, they will have to go back to what they were doing before because they cannot sell that coffee at a higher price. Hmm. Interesting. So it can actually leave them in a worse position than they were before. Yeah, definitely, because it's a lot of investment. So you have to be very careful when you do that. And I think because we are also the buyers, it puts us in a very, um, very good position to be like, okay, we do, we do 
want you to improve the quality. We do train you to get to that quality. Um, but we're also here to buy that coffee. We're here as, as a company. I mean, there is a Falcon Coffee Peru. We're not going to disappear. You know, we're there. We're going to buy your coffee. So this is like something that they don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. It's very important. So what will that mean for farmers like um, Freddie Bromeo or or the farmer who produced the most recent lot that we are just selling the tail end of now, um, Herminio Ramirez? Um, that means for them that they can um, first identify what percentage of their production that they can sell at a specialty prices. It's um, in terms of like the market at the moment. So um, a quintal of coffee has been sold at um, 470 soles and we we pay according to quality but for like an 85 coffee washed we would pay 625 so from 470 we'd pay 625 and that's for 85 so if you go 86 87 etc like you would get um higher money higher income um so that means that it's not only you can you know cover the cost of production but you also have money you can invest in your farm and that would also mean that it would give you more, um, you know, more room to be able to continue producing that much quality or that high quality the year after, because you have money to invest and um, potentially increasing the percentage of specialty coffee that they can produce as well as a farmer. I, I don't think um, it is possible that a producer can produce 100% of specialty beans. It, this, is not, this is not the reality. Yeah. They will always have uh, some beans that would be, even if you can't see it in the cherries when you harvest, there will always be some beans that are not as good. Um, there will be some defect, always, always, always. And we need to sell that coffee as well. They need to sell that coffee as well. It's a source of income for them too. But the idea is if you increase the percentage of specialty coffee that they produce, then they get better income overall. Mm-hmm. So can you break that down a little bit more for me and go back to some of the figures that you noted? So um, can you, you mentioned one quintal of coffee. What is that? Uh, so one quintal of coffee is a 46 and a half kilos. Okay, so um, of, it's a volume of coffee. Yes, yeah, a volume of coffee. It's it's a bit tricky because every origin has a different way to uh-huh. um, to express like um, uh, volumes at origin. Uh, the idea is to uh, have as many kilos of parchment that can produce like a full bag of exportable coffee, if that makes sense. Okay. So that's why it's used as quintal. Okay. So for one, what is the value of um, like a specialty lot? So an 85 lot. Um, so we consider for the listeners who who don't understand the, the quality um, system that specialty goes by, anything yeah. that scores... Um, so there's ways of scoring coffee that um, are based on the quality of the cup. So the coffee is tasted and then different aspects of aspects of it are scored. And a coffee that receives a score above an 80 is considered specialty. And, yeah. Am I right about that, Lean? Um, yeah. So this is another like big topic um, to really um, have the different coffees like specialty, non-specialty. By definition, yes, there will be an 80 plus uh, would be specialty. In the reality and how we trade coffee, um, 
84 plus will be considered specialty coffees. Okay, so for, for working purposes, 84 plus. So anything that's an 85 or higher, you're saying that you, 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 pay, you pay the farmer a certain amount more yeah. for that. Okay. So, yeah, because the market's prices, so there is a market price that people would be, it's known that people are buying, um, you know, a quintal of coffee wow. that week uh, at this price in Haen in the city. Um, so that would be, at the moment, it's 470 solis, for example. Okay. Um, or it's, you know, at the moment, it's kind of be like, um, it goes up and down, of course, during the season, but. Uh -huh. um, and then at the same moment, we're paying 625 um, so it's for the same amount of coffee if it's an 85 coffee. Okay. okay. And that's for wash coffee because we pay more for naturals as well. Okay. Are there contracts with the farmers that say you're going to receive a minimum price for your lot? And then you get, uh, get more if it's, if it's higher quality or is it just bring us the coffee, we assess it and we'll let you know what we can pay you for it? Yeah, we do, we do not have contracts because, first of all, we didn't want people to be tied to us because they have to, uh, which is what the cops are doing, um, which I totally understand is the way that they they invest into their members and then they want, you know, something back from them. Um, so they do not have to bring the quality or their coffee to us. Uh, they do what they want. What we want is to incentivize them to do so because we're paying good prices. So if they come to us, it's because they choose uh, to come deliver the coffee to us. And in terms of prices, we don't have um, contracts with minimum prices, but we've, we're very transparent with the prices. So there are um, uh, posters in, in the warehouse that explains how much we pay per quality. Um, so there's no cheating or anything. They know. Um, we also take into account the moisture content because obviously if the coffee's too wet, then um, we're paying for kilos of water as well so we have to explain that to them and or sometimes we ask them to dry it a little bit before um so we take these things into account and then we explain we show the cupping results and it's like okay this is um really good yield of um first grade for your coffee so uh, the grade that we can export from the parchment that you brought to us um really good mushroom content and then we're on 86 so Bim, 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 this is the price. Um, so, and I think they really appreciate that because they know exactly what they're going to be paid for, um, depending on the quality. And, and it's very interesting to see them very excited about, uh, you know, a bit nervous when the coffee has been in the, in the lab, being kept, but then very excited when we give them the results. And like, let's say the year before they were like, constantly producing 85s. And then when they get to like 86 or plus, they just, it's just joy. It's just very, very happy. So it's, it's really, really nice to see that. Like their work is paid off because it's not easy to improve quality. I mean, you have to work really hard, right? So what does that look like for farmers? Say I'm a farmer and I bring coffee one year and it's an 85 and next year I really want it to be an 87. What would I do differently? Well, there's a lot of things, um, mainly the picking. So the picking is the one of the most important things. Um, picking only very like ripe cherries, but all like consistent um, in the color, uh, in the stage of maturation of, of the cherries is really, really important. Um, unfortunately, that's still something that a lot of producers don't do well. Um, and I'm not talking only about Peru. Wow. Then the process, so I think maybe the most critical part would be the drying part. Um, so in the region of Wabal, so where you um, have got you, you blend from, uh, it's a region where 
the infrastructures for drying are not very um, very advanced, let's say. So there wasn't that much investment in the past for, for coffee and um, a lot of the producers are still drying on patios on uh, plastic sheets on the floor and run to cover the coffee whenever it rains, um, which happens quite a lot sometimes and a few times a day as well. So that can definitely impact the quality a lot. So we're trying to uh, work out with them how much it would cost, for example, to have uh, a drying uh, drying beds with a greenhouse so it protects it from the rain. Mm -hmm. um, we have also some roasters that invested it, invested money um, through us to finance some some of these structures as well, mm -hmm. and we have also financed some of them uh, with them. So either we uh, gave the money as a grant or we uh, gave the money as a loan to producers to help them um, being able to build that. So I think these are the main points um, for quality in the field. So you have roasters who are are saying we'd like to give a certain amount of our profits back to this project. Is that how that works? Yeah, and that's uh, I think probably the best part of uh, of our jobs when you get to that point and people are really into doing something like this. So um, uh, we have some people that either are uh, paying like a premium that wants to pay your premium to the producers or would like to invest in something that would help the producers to improve the quality as well and be more consistent, uh, which is like a win-win situation really, yeah. um, obviously. Um, but yeah, so, so we, do, we do have that, um, which is really, really great. And people that have also visited them um, and have, you know, have a relationship with these people. Um, so it's really, it's really beautiful. So you've been to Peru and you visited uh, some of the farms and um, I, I just, maybe you can give us, paint us a little bit of a picture of what it's like there and what's life like for people living um, and producing coffee uh, in Peru. Yeah, sure. So Peru has a lot of different producing regions though. Um, so I'm going to really talk about Cajamarca because it's the one that we know the most. Um, so a lot of people, all, all the producers are, are Peruvian, so they're all indigenous, uh, you know, population um, now at the moment, and they own uh, about between one and a half and two hectares of coffee. So I would that's say. a small amount of land, really. Yeah, it's quite small. Um, it's it's bigger than in many countries in Africa, for example, but it's still like quite a small uh, a small amount of coffee. So that's about uh, five thousand, six thousand trees. Um, more or less, depending on, on the variety. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what they they deal with. Um, a lot of them are also producing um, other crop uh, by for different reasons, by necessity, because of food, so it's table crop. Also because um, it's really interesting to see that a lot of people are actually doing intercropping or agroforestry just because they use the land as much as they can. And it's actually like a great system to see. It's great for um, tackling all the climate change challenges as well. Um, it's very much, um, I mean, all the, the producers are growing coffee organically, as well as most of the other crops as well. So Peruvians are quite lucky to have very, very good soils and they can grow a lot um, organically. So they can use compost, they can buy compost, but if they have, you know, cattle or some animals, they can also uh, make their own compost, which is really cool. Um, and we, a lot of producers are certified, um, usually through carbs, because it's not possible for a producer to afford certification 
when you earn two hectares of coffee. It's way too expensive. So usually they are certified because the COP did like big campaigns of certifications for them. The producers that we work with therefore are not certified, um, but all the coffee is grown organically. Okay. So, and by certified, you mean, I just want to make sure our listeners understand, you mean certified, for instance, like organic or fair trade, um, things like things like those certifications, which would make them more marketable. Um, exactly. Um, and to be honest, I think that for commercial coffee, it really helped because there is a premium price paid, being paid for, for these uh, coffees. Um, there are uh, premiums also paid when you when you sell uh, certified coffee and it's additional depending on the certifications that you have um, if we look at specialty coffee we still we still be under the price that we actually pay producers so it doesn't make a huge difference I'd say um, but I think it definitely helped coffee producers in Peru to uh, be able to make a more decent living of, of coffee in the past um, with certification, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So can you give me a sense of like multiples, like so a, a farmer producing um, commodity versus a farmer producing fair trade versus a farmer producing specialty, what sort of um, value would that crop have in terms of like the, you know, is the specialty worth twice the commodity or like what kind of value can that farmer bring in with his yeah, crop? Yeah, sure. um, it, so it's an interesting question because it really depends on the level of the sea market, which is the um, the level of the stock market in, in New York for, for the Arabica. Um, because specialty is not linked directly to this market. We fix prices, we negotiate this prices with the producers or the exporters. Um, and no matter what happens with the stock market, um, we will be paying this price. Mm -hmm. um, the commodity, so commercial coffee is very much linked to that market. So it really depends on where the market is. Uh, obviously, it's been pretty low in the last two years, to be honest. Uh, it's been pretty uh, dramatically low, um, historically low. So I think, um, you know, when, when the markets was, uh, let's say, like 100, so there would be 100 US cents per pound of coffee, per pound of coffee, um specialty would be you know like twice or triple uh the the, the level of this market mm -hmm. but then it also depends on the quality because what commodity does is that they use the level of the c market but they add differentials depending on the quality depending on um the certification so you're asking the question for certification for example i think um a coffee that is you know fair trade and certified in peru that would be right um, around like 80 points or uh, 79 points so high commercial uh, will probably be traded at like maybe two 200 mm -hmm. um, depending on, per pound. yeah yeah 200 US cents per pound yeah. um, and then in well the specialty with like higher quality would be at like 275 or 300 depending again on the quality of the coffee okay. Okay, so a farmer who's producing specialty coffee, and so for instance, I'm I'm a smallholder farmer in Peru, and I used to sell my cherries to a middleman who would come along to my farm and um, buy them for for a dollar per pound. Mm -hmm. I know that's not obviously we're talking about cherries and parchment and things way different amounts, but <laughs> we're talking. About, but let's just let's just keep it simple. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so that coffee, I would bring in a dollar per pound, whereas now I can bring my coffee to Falcon Peru and get $3 per pound. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then sometimes without even doing any anything with with uh, the quality, because the two ways people can really improve their income with the work we do is first, like starting working with us mm-hmm. versus what, you know, selling coffee to an agent in the field. So the, the single fact that they are working with us, that we actually care about the quality that we cap and we pay according to quality can be already an improvement in the price that they're getting. And then within the work they do with us, if they improve, from one coffee to another, from one lot to another, or from a year to another, then they can again like improve the income as well. So there's like two different levels, I think. Mm-hmm. And how do farmers hear about you? Like, how do they? Um, do you have like people like knocking down your door, like I want my three dollars per pound? Um, like, or are they reluctant to work with you because it's like you're, you know, who are these people? They just want, you know, they I come and they tell me how much my coffee's worth. Like, what do they know? You know. It's a very good point. And uh, two years ago, Simon, who was then the Falcon Specialty um, Head of Sourcing, who is now manager in Peru, um, went there and spent, I think, three or four months the first time, and literally knocking at doors, uh, going to the field, trying to see if the coffee looked nice from what he could see from the structures outside, and then going to talk to the producers. Um, it took a while because, as you say, it's like specifically Peruvians are actually not um, people that would trust um, others very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, w- it was hard for people to start. And then to be honest, they started like coming with a bag of coffee, you know, although the lot was actually 10 bags, but it would just like try the temperature um, and then see how much they would actually get for that coffee. And word of mouth was really good for us. We have some some producers that literally did the job for us mm-hmm. um, that talk to the neighbors and say like, you should sell the coffee to uh, to Falcon. They're really cool. Um, they pay really good price. And which is at the end of the day, like the most important thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, also some people started uh, consolidating their, their coffee because they couldn't all go down to Rennes. So like one farmer would talk to neighbors and say, oh, I'm going to go to Falcon. Um, do you want me to uh, go and deliver your coffee as well? So it all started like the the whole structure of that. It was it was really interesting, but it did take it did take a, a few months to get people's trust. Um, I think we're we're in a good position now. We have people that are really uh, keen to be working with us. So we work with uh, a bit more than three hundred farmers. Okay. Into in three three districts uh, mainly of Cajamarca. Wow, that's really that's a lot of that's a lot of farmers. Yeah, it's, we um, we had to uh, say no to quite a few people because we don't specifically have, uh, you know, the capacity to buy uh, a lot more, especially not in a COVID year, uh, which unfortunately, you know, we have to be careful with as well. Um, but and we we don't want to we don't want to take people on that are actually members of COP and not telling us because they're just trying to sell coffee a bit higher price. And um, also, you know, we prefer to work with people that are really um, keen on working with us and then um, really loyal to us rather than uh, adding more and more people that might just deliver coffee once. And then because it also makes sense for our, um, our roasters to be able to buy the coffee from the same, same producers year after year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to have that um, 
sustainable relationship with them too. I guess my question is, can farmers in Peru live on the profits from coffee generally? Is it a sustainable industry there? Hmm. It depends. It depends on, uh, well, the price they actually get for the coffee depends who they sell the coffee to. Um, as I said, it's because the soils are really good, they don't have much um, or less um, expenses than other countries for fertilizers, for example, and inputs in general. So that's that's a good, a good thing for them. Um, Again, certification really helped um, a lot of producers to be able to actually cover the, their cost of production uh, in many regions of Peru, and uh, especially for conventional coffee. Um, but I think for smallholders, it's still, which is most of the, the, the producers in Peru, it's still very difficult with commercial coffee um, to even cover their cost. And, and when they do manage to cover their cost, it's hard for them to have the extra money to make a good living because they need to sustain the whole family it's not only covering your costs right you do you do business to actually make money um for your family and and also to have that extra money to reinvest um so that's still that's still difficult i think in peru like like it is in, in many countries for smallholders mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so if you're just producing commodity coffee it's quite difficult yeah um yeah it is you need uh, to have other crops you need to have a bit more land um or you need like other source sources of, of income somehow uh -huh. yeah so um in your experience like what what are the goals of the producers involved in the project like what do they what are they hoping for for the future um well, that's a good question i think they would they would all have uh, different different goals uh I remember having this conversation with some roasters that came to visit um, Peru and they were asking what would be your dream and a lot of people would say that wanted to go and to see uh, the Barcelona playing in Barcelona so that's that's <laughs> probably one goal. Um, no I think I think having for them having a long-term relationship with someone that they can trust is really important. Um, they've been you know sometimes disappointed by many players um, they it's probably a lot of work for them to try to always you know try to sell you coffee everywhere send samples everywhere to see who's going to give you the best price and having someone if we can offer that to them like the security of us being there us paying good prices us having their back and then visiting in the field and then you know exchanging on you know how they can they can make it better as well i think the security of that is is really important um more and more, they're really driven by quality, which is which is really cool. Um, there is, you know, there are some some competitions like the Cup of Excellence, a national competition um, that you know some of our producers participate in. So we have some some in the finals. So uh, it's mm -hmm. pretty exciting. And, yeah, and they get they get very excited about this. And I think I think this is this is probably the first point. You need to get them uh, feel proud about what they're doing. Um, because it's the only way that it's going to be sustainable. It's the only way that the young farmers or the young people would stay in the rural areas to keep farming coffee. Um, it has to be a sustainable business. Um, and unfortunately, in many cases, it's still, it's still not. Yeah, yeah. Um, when is the Cup of Excellence for Peru? Uh, so it's quite a long process. It started already, so... Um, 
we had some runs already um, for because they have so many coffees to cup. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know when the finals are. Okay. Uh, that should be that should be pretty soon, I think. Okay, well, we'll have to look out for the results for that. <laughs> um, I know that one of the lots that we had from you guys, um, the one produced by um, Freddie, can you tell me how to say Freddie Guevara's name? Am I saying it correctly? Freddie Bermeo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I he, he won, he won, what did he win? Third place in 2017, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. Yeah, there are quite, quite a few now at the moment. So um, we're helping them to, you know, do all the, the sampling and then because we're cupping, uh, so it's difficult for them to know what copy they can send because obviously they don't, they don't have the um, infrastructure to cup the copy and everything. So we're helping identify that and then, you know, have this discussion with him and, what we should send or what we could send to the Cup of Excellence if they're happy for us to do so, obviously. Um, and last year we had uh, three, I think, in the final, and then we've got two this year as well. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. I wanted to just say thank you so much for taking time to um, to be with us and to answer all my questions. And I hope that we can um, do this again soon um, because there are so many other questions that I would like to cover. And it's really exciting to talk to somebody who has been to these farms and who has met with the rock stars behind the beans. And um, because honestly, I mean, I would love to travel to Peru. I would love to see um, to see these farms in person and to shake hands with the people who grow the coffee that I'm roasting um, because it is it's just fantastic it's some of the best coffee that I've ever had so um, so Steampunk definitely wants to continue um, you know buying from um, from Falcon's project in Peru and um, work together to um, make sure that everybody receives a fair price and that we can um, keep producing these amazing this amazing product so that's the final objective of our work like if you want to continue you know buying this coffee and uh working with these producers is just like the best gift you can you can do to us um i wish i wish uh, we could travel now but um hopefully when it's time to travel to paris is september hopefully it'll be it'll be all right by then and and i would love to have you there um I think it's really <laughs> okay i'll get my <laughs> Thank you so much for, for the opportunity. It's always great to be talking about um, about the work that those rock stars are doing because uh, they deserve it and they can't always do it in their own voices. So I'm really happy. Yeah. yeah. One day we will have a farmer on our podcast, I hope. So that'd be great. That would be great. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you so much, Lean. Thank you very much. Have a good afternoon. You too. <laughs>